All right, guys. Welcome to Giant Voice. This is a sound off forum for our patriots presented by Coast to Coast Podcast. We have created this with the intention of providing our active veteran and retired military to come and tell their stories and their views today so that their voices can be heard. Today's guests all served in the United States Marine Corps. Each of them were deployed, in some cases multiple times, during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, as well as Operation Iraqi Freedom in Iraq. With us today, we have Corporal Christopher Perna, Corporal Larry Bates, Staff Sergeant Owen Bailey. Before we begin, guys, we're going to ask everybody if you'd please like, subscribe, comment, share in order to ensure these military guys, they get their voices heard. Let's push this thing. It's going to be fun. Uh, so, guys, first we have a message that I want to share with you guys from my co-host. Hey, guys. I'm Brandon with the Coast to Coast Podcast. I'm Nick's better half. Well, better looking anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, I just wanted to come on here and make this video real quick since I can't be there live with you guys, with Nick, right now. I'm stuck at work. There's just no way I could get out of it. I just wanted to make this to say thank you for participating in the very first premiere episode of Giant Voice, and I hope you guys just have a shit ton of fun. So, guys, let's get this started. So the first question... I have for you. Okay, so you guys all went into the military, went through all your training, deployment, and all that. If you were asked to do that all over again, would you guys do it all over again? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mind elaborating? Like, what did you get out of that? Well, for me personally, um, like these two gentlemen right here, you know, they, they kind of bond with somebody that you might not see five, six years, but, you know, if you showed up on a doorstep and you needed them, they'd be there for you just like they always were. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I got out of it. And it got me out of a, a bad situation in life and helped me through some rough times. So um, I wouldn't change it. I'd keep all the scars just the way they are because it helped me be who I am today. Yeah, I think uh, what Larry said is, you know, hit it right on the nose uh, besides going in for, you know, all the, the benefits and stuff like that. But I feel like um, the time and experience that I gained, I think made me better as a human being and better as a man. Um, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change a minute of uh, no matter how horrible parts of it were. I wouldn't change a minute of it. Um, I, I look back at those times and, you know, uh, it lets me understand like hey i got through that i can get through anything and uh, i know that's kind of a hokey answer but I, I still i still believe that yeah um the relationships that i i made with not only these two guys but oh chris Don't mind him. He did this on the podcast episode, if you know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it's like he's getting in the middle of the story. He's like, oh, it's getting good. There he is. <laughs> you froze there for a minute. Yeah, I, I was just saying that uh, I, I would do anything for these guys. I would. Right. When I was in the Marines, I did anything I could for them to support them. I... Uh, was uh, the old guy of the group, 
and uh, I, I felt that I tried to look out for these guys in their best interest, and um, I, I'd still do that for them to this day. Amen. Nice. 100%. Same here. Yeah. So uh, you guys, did you, were you all in like the beginning training and all that at the same time, or were you just deployed together? Uh, well, we um, we were all stationed together in the same MOS at the same uh, County Way base, Marine Corps base Y together, and we all uh, deployed together as well. So we, we had some time with each other. Yeah, we were all uh, combat cooks. We were all in the same unit. Um, right. Owen uh, came after our Afghanistan deployment and then was uh, attached to um, three, three cooks. And then uh, he deployed with us to Iraq, the second deployment. Owen, did you deploy after that as well, too? Uh, yeah, actually, I deployed. Uh, two more times with uh, Third Battalion, Third Marines, and then uh, I went back and I got restationed in South Carolina, and I went uh, to Afghanistan with another unit. Oh wow! Yeah. What part of Afghanistan were you in? I didn't even realize that. Uh, I was in uh, Helmand Province. I was uh, out on my own, kind of in Dwyer. Um, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a. It wasn't. It wasn't anything like the first one, but. Uh, you know, um, getting ice cream every day was definitely a, uh, a welcome change. <laughs> I bet. Well, hey, when I was in Afghanistan, it wasn't about ice cream, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> no, no it, it, it was hot, but that's about it. It's the only complaint I really have. Yeah, well, that's good. So compared between the deployment you and I were together and that one, can you compare the two? Yeah, absolutely. Um the, as I'm sure you gentlemen remember, it was it was very kinetic deployment. You know, uh, it was every day was kind of a, you know, we'll see what happens today. Uh, and then the uh, the deployment to Afghanistan. You know, uh, it was in 2012, so you know, I um, I really wasn't uh, you know in combat operations that much. Uh, it was actually the last week we were in um, Afghanistan. That's when uh, Bastion got overrun. Uh, so I kind of got stuck up there doing that. And uh, it's it's crazy how quick you can go from, you know, getting Starbucks to the next day you're, you know, sleeping on a cardboard box outside of an airfield. It's uh, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I wouldn't like it. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the deployment to Afghanistan, uh, it was with the air wing unit. So, you know, it was totally night and day uh, deployment from what I experienced. So with uh, third battalion, third Marines. So you're... You're eating good. Yeah. I am currently, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to cut in, but y'all, so you guys were all also cooks in the military? We were. Yes. yes. So yep. you, you guys know how to, you guys know how to cook for a large amount of people then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could cook for 10 or we could cook for a thousand, whatever you need. <laughs> Good thing that uh, the quality of the food is questionable, but you know, uh, yes, we could cook. <laughs> Maybe when you're cooking, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I was in. Uh, I was in a cook. Like I didn't come in to be a cook, and uh, but yeah. Well, that makes no, me think we, of. We made it the best we could. 
with what yeah, exactly yeah. absolutely and I, I think uh our battalion appreciated that because you know we did take our job serious and we did whatever we could to make the situation better than what it was oh absolutely yeah we, we always left it better than what we received it i agree right i think Definitely. it was you know that was that motto was set by Gunnery Sergeant Joseph Yantoska, and he expected that from us, that yeah. we left it better than what we received it. And and I would completely agree with that 100%. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely comfortable saying that um, we, we didn't leave anything on the table. I mean, I, I know we put it out there, uh, and we definitely, you know, we definitely made it a lot better than what we uh, what we came into. Especially, I, I know I can speak about me and uh, Chris, but I know we when we walked away from that first deployment, I know that it was definitely better than what we had, what they had. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joseph and Tosca was a big, a big motivation on how we did things. Like we uh, hit the ground running when we were in Baghdadi. And when we got yeah. there, there was no no kind of chow hall whatsoever. And uh, we built it up, like I want to say within like six to seven months, we actually had a closed-in kitchen and a, a surface area outside that was closed in as an actual main chow hall. Wow. So we, we yeah. uh, had limited resources, but we stretched them more than you would even imagine that you could, honestly. Yeah. That's just more good things to learn for life, ain't it? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing about uh, being a cook was that wasn't our only job. That was just our primary job. But we were also, like the Marine Corps says, your first job is being a rifleman. And right. if you were cooking during the day, you could be going out on a raid that night or a convoy somewhere or... There was so much more to it than just what we were doing. That was what we did during the day to take mm -hmm. care of the other Marines. But then, absolutely, then um, our duties were much more than just that. Yeah, like uh, like the Marine Corps says, you know, every Marine a rifleman. And I, I honestly, you know, I didn't. I heard it a lot before I got to Iraq, and I really didn't believe it. But then, uh, when you get there, I mean, it's every Marine's a rifleman. Uh, you know, when you're taking rounds or you're taking, you know, whatever, it's, uh, you know, you grab your, your weapon and that, that's it. There is no, hey, time out. I'm a, I'm a cook. I'm going to go hang out over here while you guys hash us out. Uh, all hands on deck, man. Yeah. Especially, um, I'm going to share a story. One day we were just standing outside our chow hall in oh, this building that we had in Iraq. And... I don't know if we were making the juice for the day or what was going on, but all I saw out of the corner of my eye was something in the air. And I turned around and it was the first time a mortar had landed in our fob. And it was probably yeah. 20 feet away from us. If and that, I don't yeah. know if it was Owen or Carrera or another guy that we were with. And I like grabbed them and pushed them through the door of the chow hall. And all I expected was to feel something hitting me in the back. 
Yeah. And I remember that. it never went off. Hmm. It was a dud. Yeah, I, I know after uh, after that event, I know uh, I wasn't religious at the time, but I definitely, you know, I definitely think <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> yes, I did. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, because like uh, Chris said, it was literally, I would say less than that. It was 10 feet away. And if if that went off, you know, it would have been a different story for definitely me and Chris. Um, you know, who knows what will happen. But yeah, it definitely would have been a bad day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And after that, it, it became a daily occurrence that our yeah. base was getting hit on the inside because we were uh, located in the middle of a village that was uh, originally a school at one point. Yep. This is for, so for me, Iraq ended up uh, being my more mellow uh, deployment compared to Afghanistan because where I got put out. I started off in Haditha, which that was actually pretty bad. Uh, that was real bad when we first got there because that whole Haditha incident had just occurred right before us. But I ended up moving out to Baghdadi, so it got good. But uh, the closer calls I had my whole career in the Marine Corps were actually in Afghanistan. I was uh, up there with special forces on a special forces base, and we just got attacked every day like that, rockets, you name it. And it was like almost synonymous to what that uh, gentleman was talking about that was in the army on the podcast around last time where they uh, set up the rockets just to go off, but with better technology. So there was always incoming on that base. So yeah, it's definitely riflemen first. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like Larry said, it was literally, you know, I was there, I was there. And then uh, um, right next to me was a, a Marine who did, the internet and then next to him was a Marine who was a uh, motor team mechanic. And, uh, they, uh, they didn't care what your MOS was. Uh, you know, you were, you were there and, uh, there was no calling timeout. Like I said before. I remember when Chris first, when we had him on the episode and he said that talked about being a cook, but then he said, but he's awful infantry. And I told him then I never heard of that. I didn't know they did that. That's crazy. Yeah. How, how many um, people go into military looking for a job like that thinking, well, I can be in there, but I won't have to worry about it. And then they find out, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not just cooking. Keep that gun by you. Well, maybe I was going to say 20 years ago, but maybe 30 years ago, that would have been the case. But if you joined well, after 9-11, you better expect your ass was going to go overseas at some point. Yeah. And you're going to see some action. If you went in thinking that wasn't going to happen, you were pretty naive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I uh, I enlisted to be actually infantry, and uh, I I broke my foot during um, one of the last weeks of training. So you know they're like, hey, you can't be a grunt anymore, but you can be a cook. So I was really you know disheartening because I wanted to actually be infantry and stuff like that. And then uh, luckily enough, uh, it was me, and I think maybe eight other guys got selected to go to infantry battalion. And, uh, yeah, we were, we got attached to infantry battalion. And when they say attached, they mean like you and maybe two other guys who aren't infantry, uh, on a base and the rest are grunts. So, I mean, yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely experience. Yeah, but, uh, honestly, when I was in Afghanistan, there was reservists that thought they would never deploy and a uh, national guard that had actually been there for over a year. Yeah. Really? 
Yep. Yeah, when we were in Afghanistan, uh, we were getting ready to leave and the National Guard um, that was on our base that was switching out before we left, um, they had another National Guard unit coming in from New Mexico. And these guys showed up and we took one look at them. I go, holy cow. And they go, yeah, how do you think we feel? We never thought we were gonna, <laughs> we never thought we were gonna be here. These guys were not in shape. They were older individuals and they weren't prepared for what, luckily the area in Af Afghanistan I was in, it was uh, pretty calm. You had to go out and look for some trouble. Right. But uh, these guys still were a little shell-shocked and not prepared for uh, what they were uh, going to get into for, they were probably going to be there for a year. I, I remember yeah. that. I, I remember seeing them lining up. They were just. <laughs> Brian, yeah, you're in headlights, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So what was, I want to back up and I want you guys to tell me what was boot camp like? Did you hate it? Did you like it? Did, what did you take from it? Do you think it prepared you well enough? Um, oh, the, go ahead, go ahead. You go first. You look, you I was going to say, I don't, I don't think anything prepared me for boot camp. Me personally, that was a, that was a shell shock. It was hard, but in the end, in hindsight, that's something to be proud that you passed through because that's not something just anybody can get through. And it, but it was trying. It was not an easy task. Nothing prepared me for it, but it really uh, showed me myself. Yeah, for myself, um, I, you know, I went in, I was 29 when I signed up. I turned 30 in boot camp. I'm there with guys who are 17 and 18 years old. Um, you know, my recruiter gave me a video to watch. He goes, oh, this is what you're going to expect at boot camp. And I said, well, you could keep that video because I don't want to see it. I go, I don't want to see it until I step foot there and see it for myself. I go, because no video that you give me is gonna prepare me <laughs> for what I'm about to get myself into at the age oh, that no, I'm at. No yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing that I even tell my uh, 10 year old, I explained this to him not that long ago. And I said, this is some advice that my senior drill instructor gave us. He said, you could fight it or you can conform. And you know, and I thought about that and I think I might've been fighting it the first three or four days I, I was there. And then I said, he's right. I go, I'm gonna conform and do what they asked me. And it was like night and day. And yeah. uh, you know, if you could enjoy boot camp, I, I guess I did um, to some extent. I was looking to, you know, I, I played sports in high school and I, I knew I physically I could handle it, but I was always looking for the, the mental part of it. And um, I experienced it and it pushed me to levels that I, I, I never knew that I could get to. And, um, and it definitely changed me for the better. I, I would say that, especially 
for my life now and moving forward and the experiences that I use. And, um, you know, you hear people at work, if you're in the civilian sector now and you're working with people that were never in the military and the complaints they have about showing up to work every day, and, um, working harder not to work, um, you know, drives me crazy. And, you know, in the Marine Corps, you're on the clock 24-7. If somebody calls you and tells you to do something, you're doing it. And you better not complain about it either, or it's only going to be harder for you. So, um, yeah, there's no point. you know, anybody in the service can understand that. And um, it's got to make you a better person, at least to mm. some extent. I know uh, I'll share this story because it's not about boot camp, but uh, so once I got out, um, I was about 30 years old and I had to go back through police academy and, um, and I was about 30 years old and I was going through it and it was a bunch of like kids, like, like Chris said, like 18 year old kids or whatever. And I remember the whole time I was thinking, I was like, how did Chris do this? I just want to punch everyone in the face because they were crying about stupid crap. And I'm like, and they're playing games with us. I was like, this is so stupid. I'm like, how did he, how did he make it through this without punching anybody in the face? It's just, <laughs> it's just amazing because you're just in this mindset and these kids are just totally oblivious to everything. And it's, it's crazy. Well, I laid my hands on a couple of guys in boot camp. Oh, and, oh, I know. I'm, I'm not going to mention any stories, but you've told me a few. <laughs> and obviously at uh, cook school too, I um, got in an altercation with a guy, you know, I tried to help him out and then, uh, I don't know if he didn't remember it the next day, but I had to uh, square him away as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not hard to believe at all. <laughs> Sometimes. Tough Luke has had fun times, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, how did you guys meet anyway? Um, I didn't meet Larry until we got to Hawaii. He got, he was there before I was. And um, I think our real first experience was when we were on Rempac on that Navy ship for the first 18 days. I'd only been in Hawaii a week or so and got thrown into this training exercise. And uh, Larry and I were on, um, what was the name of the ship? The USS the Tarawa. Tarawa, yes, thank you. And yep. uh, then Owen came after we got back from Afghanistan. Yeah. And then uh, Owen and I were uh, on the same base in Iraq. So we uh, got to know each other really well for about eight months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I. Uh, so it was me and a group of eight guys. We came to 3-3 and uh, there was, you know, Chris, Larry, and a bunch of other guys that, uh, you know, obviously been in Afghanistan, just got back. So, you know, we're like, oh, oh crap, you know. And then um, lucky for me and the other guys, you know, we, they took us under our wings. You know, there was a few rough, rough patches, but, you know, they took us under our wings and, uh, you know, helped us get along. And, uh, yeah. So that's a question also, like, boot camp and then even when you're deployed like there's so many different people right 
Like normally in everyday life, obviously once you have that many different people, somebody's going to not get to get along too well. Like, is that an issue when you're in the military? You guys learn that you get along with each other. It's just like anything else. You tend to have a mutual respect for the fact that you're Marines and the underlying mission or objective, whatever it may be, but you don't necessarily agree or get along with everybody like personality wise, there's, there's definitely conflicts. There definitely is. It's just like anything else. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, uh, my two roommates, one was from, uh, Ecuador and the other one's from uh, Puerto Rico. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, and I was from Tennessee. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, Hey, now y'all are friends and you know, (laughs) there is no saying, I don't want to be friends with him or I don't want to do this. It's your friends, whether you like it or not, and you're going to share the same bunk or uh, room for the next seven, eight months or back of a Humvee if you're lucky enough. Oh, yeah. Me and Owen, I think, slept together in the back of the Humvee. <laughs> Fucking in, uh... <laughs> back of a Humvee. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was a Ritz Carlton. I'll say that. <laughs> it's carpet. <laughs> That's uh, it's it's a melting pot though. Like you you're almost forced to have to get cultured, not only just like when you go into other countries, but other states and other nationalities and stuff like it's it's really good. It's almost like I almost feel like everybody should spend some time like that. Yeah. In that situation like that, and there would be a lot less problems that we have in the divides in the country that we do sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Larry 100. Um, percent I would never be, you know, friends with probably any of the guys you know I deployed with or whatever. But um, you put that behind us because you're all Marine and you're all there for one common goal. So you're forced to be friends um, or forced to, you know. And I know I could pick up the phone anytime. And ask those guys for something, and without a doubt, they they be like, "Yeah, absolutely, man, no worries." Yeah, you got to make the best out of a a bad situation sometimes, and you're in it together, and you just have to figure it out at the end of the day. You have to put whatever shit you have aside and get through what you're getting through, because the only person you have is the guy to your left and your right. There are no other yeah, choices. So if you can't depend on those guys, then you're shit out of luck. And luckily, you know, I'm sure these guys can would say the same thing. We all depended on each other and um, made the best out of the bad situations. Most definitely. And and uh, just from the way things were, our, our unit – was almost unique in how much bond there really was. Like we mixed with other units, so you could see they weren't as tight knit as we were. And it's literally like I don't know the term like bonds, force, and fire comes to mind, but I think we were more receptacle because of the person that we had at the head of things. And um, it was just we were a little unique. That there's nobody in that unit at that time that I don't think that I could call on wouldn't be there for me or would turn their back on me at all. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't see uh, Larry or pretty much any other cooks for all seven months. And then when we got back together, it was like nothing ever changed. You know, we uh, we went back to drinking beers uh, out in the barracks. I mean, nothing changed. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, and the, the group that we had, 
at least for myself, there was nobody that I didn't like. You know what I mean? Right. Not that you hung out with everybody outside of work, but there was nobody that I disliked or had a problem with. You know, I no, cared not, about that. Yeah, I, I can vouch for that. Right. I, I could vouch for Perna personally was always there for me. Like um during the whole Iraq thing. Uh my mom had passed away between the two oh, deployments yeah. and um so I made it rough, but um there's always a few personal people that I could call upon. I knew I could call upon all of them, but Perna was one of the ones that stood out that was really there for me to remind me, you know, you got this, you're good, you know, like and I, I, I wanted to say I've always appreciated you for that. Thank you for being there just to help my mental go. Some of the stuff you said just made me think, you know, he's right. And keep moving. Well, so I appreciate you amongst everybody, but you know, you're one you're here now. The other some of the other people aren't here. But thank you for being there for me. I just want to say that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and since we're uh, singing the praises of Chris, uh, you know, I was the only child when I grew up in uh I definitely lived a shelter life and going to Iraq, you know, it was a I was nineteen when I went there. And uh, I looked at Chris like an older brother. And, you know, what he taught me during that deployment, uh, I used all the way to the end of and last day in the military. And I feel lucky to have him, Bates, uh, you know, uh, Washington, a lot of the other senior NCOs. Uh, I, I feel like I got so far in the military because of them and the lessons they taught me. Uh, you know, if they had to put their hands on me once or twice, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I, I know for, for, for fact, I, I definitely look them like, like brothers definitely same well i definitely appreciate you two guys um you know before you guys came on uh the air uh, i was talking to nick and I, I brought up your situation larry and i just wanted to you know tell you that i have the utmost respect for you thank you Mm -hmm. No, you didn't have to do what you did. Right. Yeah, I agree. You didn't have to deploy. A lot of people but wouldn't you have. felt that it was necessary to be with us. Yeah. And yeah. I well, that. I appreciate that. It it was necessary on so on so many levels. Not only like did I not want to be there to be there for y'all, but not being there was even worse than being there, I think. I think it would have been. Sure. Uh, I would be feeling guilt upon guilt. Guilt for not being there, upon the guilt for my mom. And I would have just, you know, I, I had a drinking problem at a certain point. And uh, I spent a lot of money at nights. I would have been a wreck if I didn't go with you guys. Just not only would I be trying to drink my mom away, but I'd be trying to drink the fact that I let you down, you guys down away. So it was just, it was a, I had to. And you say I didn't have to, but for me, I, I had to. As a man, I, I had to. I had to be there. No, if I never said it to you, I, I have the utmost respect for you. Right. And same here for you and for Owen and Washington. And I mean, the list goes on, but I, I, I respect, I have the most respect for you guys. Like, you're a big part of who I am today, to be honest with you. I still think back to things and I hear your guys' voices helping guide me through things sometimes. So I appreciate you too. I respect you too. And I also, also you as well. I hear that a lot out of military people. There's like a crazy loyalty. 
Would you say you feel a loyalty in that more than anything? Like something about military is just there's a really strong pool of loyalty in that compared to anything else. Yeah, it's, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, um, man, uh, uh, it was me and Chris and we had another cook, uh, Ricardo Carrera. And, uh, he, uh, during that incident, Chris was talking about with the mortars, um, you know, we, we didn't know where he was. I know that. And the first thing I could think about was I had to find him. Like I had to make sure he was okay. And, you know, I, I ran back out, try to find this kid and, you know, while we're taking mortars, you know, and Chris had a few choice words for me. Uh, but you know, all I could think about was making sure he was okay. And, you know, that nothing happened to him. Right. I understand that one too. Remember yeah. one time it was, uh, I think I actually and... dragged Riggs back into the building because, yeah. you know, <laughs> Go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. Finish. I can wait, brother. It's not a no, big deal. Just, really not. That's all I wanted to it's, say. It's 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 pretty much the it's pretty much the same thing you were just telling him. But uh, for Dombeck, he was, you know, he was Dombeck. He was out there just uh, we're taking small arms fires. So I'm pulling him in there, even though you know I was already in the building. But we just that's what we do. We don't. We don't leave our own, and when we're, we're going after them, we don't think of ourselves. We think of them, and we think of the the bigger picture and their family. And that's, I mean, honestly, I believe that's the whole point. Most of us join, or a lot of us at least have that as a secondary reason that we join to protect our families, to go over there so they can't bring it here. You know, and it shows when you're out there and you just see people running, like you ran for him to pull him as he's running to pull his brother in. Whereas me running to get Don back, we're not worried about us. We're worried about us as in a bigger picture. Speaking of family, so in all this military, all you guys went through, how did you carry that when you were done with your military? Now you're going into civilian life. How was that transfer? Hmm. (laughs) Did I stump you? (laughs) oh or is that a tough question i i know for me um you know i had another i don't even know like 10 more years to do after that deployment and um i know that it was definitely hard to put yourself back in the mindset especially being a father and, and a husband put yourself in that mindset of hey you know um I got stuff going on right now, but I have a wife and son to take care of. And it's, it's definitely hard to, it's definitely hard to, you know, compartmentalize, I guess, you know, what you saw and what happened over there. And then, you know, have taken care of a family and uh, a new family. And it's, it's definitely hard. Did you have a family when you were deployed the last time or... Uh, I had, um, yeah, uh, my last time in Afghanistan, I had my son who was three months old and my wife. So yeah, that was, it was the easiest deployment, uh, where I was, but honestly, like it was the hardest, uh, it was definitely the hardest to be away from my son at that time. And I, I couldn't do it again. Like with my two boys, there's no way I can be away from that. And I, I have utmost respect for the people who did, 
uh, the senior staff and COs, the sergeants and stuff like that, that had a, a wife and kids like that are just willing to put their life pretty much on hold uh, for seven months and put their relationships on hold for seven months and hope they come back and hope they have a normal family when they get back. It's, it's, it's hard for them, for me to understand. Yeah. I, I said last time in last podcast that we did that, you know, I, I give those guys a lot of respect too, because, you know, I, I joined, I did, I, I wasn't an, I wasn't married. I didn't have a relationship going on at the time. I didn't have children. So the only people I had to worry about was my parents. And, you know, that wasn't easy either. But uh, I, I don't know if I would have been able to do it if I had a, a wife and kids at home. Uh, I, I can't imagine um, leaving them for any extended period of time and have them worrying about me while I was gone. And, you know, one of the hardest things for me, um, deploying both times, it wasn't for me leaving, it was standing in that formation and watching those Marines say goodbye to their families for the last time, their children. Yeah, yeah. And our gunnery sergeant, you know, I went to Iraq advanced party with him and we were standing in formation and his wife, his daughter and his son were there and his daughter got physically sick saying goodbye to her father. And yeah. I don't know how he got on the bus and left. You know what I mean? That's just beyond my comprehension of what he had to go through. You know what I mean? The yeah. last thing he saw when he was getting on that bus to leave Hawaii. Yeah. And see them for eight or nine months. And yeah, and it, when I was 19, I really didn't understand. I was like, whatever. And I got on that bus and we went away. But, you know, on the flip side in Afghanistan, when I was there and I had to say goodbye to a three-month-old son and my wife, I was like, holy shit, this is horrible. I was like, I don't know how these guys do it time and time again. I mean, some of the gunnery sergeants and staff and COs have like six or seven deployments under their belt. And that's six or seven times you have to get on that bus and think, man, am I going to see them again? Am I going to see my wife again? You know, and I just... Like, Pernus, like Chris said, I just, I don't know how they get on that bus and, you know, walk away from that. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't fathom it. I have a good friend of mine who uh, serves in the Army still to this day, and he's deployed at least six or seven times. And one of his last deployments, his stepson passed away. And a month later, he had to leave his wife and his other three sons. And he had just lost his stepson. How do you, how do you leave after, after something like that? Your wife just lost her firstborn child. He was like 19 or 20 years old. And now he's got, a, the husband's got to leave his wife with her other three children to mourn the, the loss of a son, and now your husband's leaving to go over to another country. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would never, I would never understand that. I, I couldn't imagine. I, I sit in the same seat as Chris on this one. Uh, the whole time I was in the military, I, 
the only family I had was the family that I was born with, but I just couldn't imagine it. But as far as it affected my family now, it has had a positive side to it because of all these, these kids that you see when you're in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then you realize what we really fight for, how lucky we really are in this country. So it's made me be a better dad in the fact that I try to give my daughters the world because we have that opportunity to do it here, you know? So I just think about those little kids over there sometimes and what they're going through. And it, so I don't take any moment with my children for granted. Yeah, I would agree with that. I know that there was numerous times I would witness, you know, a father who just lost their son and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh my, like your heart bleeds for them. But I mean, there's a job you got to do at the end of the day. And, you know, it, it's horrible, you know, like, you know, uh, they lose their daughter or something like that. And, you know, they have nothing now, you know, it's, uh, it's painful looking back, especially looking back. Right. Exactly. It's crazy. Cause you know, a lot of people, when they think of military, they don't really think of everything a lot of military people go through. I watched, yeah. when I did the, uh, when we had that Veterans Day podcast, I was going through pictures of something so I could set up like a little video clip to advertise it. And some of the images, just a still image of like a dad on his knees in tears with his daughter hugging him. That even, I was tearing just looking at the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I know when I came back and, uh, you know, my son was now 10 months old, I was like, I'm not going to cry whatever. And then as soon as I saw him, man, I just broke down and I was like, oh, man, I never want to do this again. Rough. I can only imagine. Hats off to you, brother. And I, I do think that the military families, you know, you know, we're over there and the only thing we have to worry about is getting up and doing our job. And, uh, you know, I got my wife back here that's trying to raise a son, pay bills, uh, clean a house, make sure everything's done. And there's so much she has to take care of. It's just and I'm just worried about don't die today and make sure there's child on the table. That's it. You know, it's it's so much easier for us. But they're back here, you know, trying to keep everything kind of keeping the ship steering. It's just yeah, it's hard. For, uh, my heart goes out to my wife for doing it. In the meantime, hoping you get back. Yeah, hoping not to get that knock on the door, yeah. You know, after I got out, I uh, worked as a mailman for a short period of time. And the one day I was on my route, I'm walking. And I just happened to look up at the right time and this van drives by me. And it had two Marines in it. And these guys weren't looking left or right. They were stone cold looking straight ahead. And I go, oh shit. I go, that's not good. And by the time I got to another part of my route, they were in the front yard of this home. Oh, really? Telling this family that their son was killed in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know this kid. I didn't know these people, but it affected me so bad. I was a mess for weeks. And a couple of days later, I happened to be delivering the mail at this house. And whenever I got near it, my head would just, I, I, 
I'd be all over the place. And this yeah. kid's stepfather came outside and we looked at each other and I go, I'm so sorry. I go, I served in the Marines as well. And I go, and I go, I, I feel terrible. Yeah. And next thing you know, me and this man that I didn't know are embracing each other on his front lawn. We just started hugging each other because we both needed that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. I know um, in, in our company alone, we had, a, we had this kid. Uh, his name was um, Lance Corporal Miller. And uh, his uh, dad came out and promoted him because he was in 3-3 during Vietnam. And they did a big Marine Corps article about it. And, you know, I remember seeing that man. And I remember seeing how happy he was. And, you know, and then um, it was towards the end of the deployment, he was killed. And all I could think about was like that dad that seven months ago was just so proud for his son is now, you know, now getting the news. And I remember seeing him at the, you know, the base chapel when we had the whole funeral for everyone. He looked like a shell of a man. I mean, he looked rough and I was like, I can't imagine, you know. You know, I just recently uh, was corresponding with his mother because 3-3 three, three got a bunch of guys together. I don't know if they were just in his platoon or what. And I had commented, I go, well, how do you get invited to this thing? And uh, she reached out to me and her and I were talking most of the day one day when I was at work, we were just kept on messaging each other back and forth. And then I explained to her uh, a few years ago uh, at my work, we had a Veterans Day ceremony and uh, I was asked to be the, the keynote speaker. And I, the question that they wanted me to talk about was what's Veterans Day to me? And I spoke about uh, three people that we lost in uh, Iraq. And one was Corporal or Lance Corporal Miller. One was Santiago, and uh, this other uh, Corporal Agler. He served with. He was in Afghanistan with us, Larry. And then he yeah. uh, passed uh, in that accident in Iraq. And, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, his death really hit me hard too because. You know, we were, he was one of the first people that I met when we arrived in Hawaii, just by chance. He's, oh, who are you with? He was a real outgoing guy. And uh, then uh, we were in Afghanistan together and we happened to be on the same base. And his rack was next to mine. And, you know, being a cook, we were always up first. And no one's turning the lights on. So you're getting dressed in the dark. And uh, the one day he uh, showed up in the chow hall looking for me because he had my blouse on and I was wearing his <laughs> not knowing it. And uh, then we uh, deployed Iraq together, advanced party. And there was only uh, like 30 of us. And we were at the Haditha Dam and it was the first of the month and someone was getting promoted. And we're standing in this formation of about 10 guys and he's right behind me 
And after we were dismissed, I turned around and looked at him and I go, just think, I go, eight months from now, we're going to be going home. I remember that. And that's one of the, one of the shitty things about, you know, being a cook is I remember getting on the bus and one of our cooks that was with one, three, he says, Hey, don't get close to the grunts. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I got on the, got on the, the, you know, um, the van. I really didn't think about it. And then, you know, as a cook, you sit there and you feed everyone, every grunt that comes through that chow hall. And I mean, you know, them, you know, that what they eat, what they don't eat, you know, their story, whatever. And you have like a, a, a interaction with everyone. And I remember, and, um, it was just painful, man. I remember them coming back and just serving a platoon. And I remember, you know, people just not being there and it just, it sucked, man. It, it really sucked. And I remember just the morale was just horrible. And, you know, it was just, Hey, someone's so it's not coming home today or, you know, you're not going to see that person again. And like uh, Lance Corbin Miller, we had him as a, a, a guy who would clean up the tables and stuff like that. And I remember how outgoing and happy he was. And uh, I remember when I heard that while I, uh, when I was on route home and I was, I heard that one and it, that one really affected me because he was a really good guy. And anytime you lose somebody is a bad time, but three days before we were leaving is when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that was a gut punch. Mm -hmm. And then to lose Santiago the day that we were leaving was. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, it's never well, I was still over. a tester. Nope, I remember being a tester in India company, and um, I had just gotten like cool with Corporal Astaire. Yeah, he passed away too, but um, yeah. we had that whole Afghanistan. We were like didn't really like each other and stuff, and then we became cool a little bit there. Iraq, and then once we got cool, they sent me out to Baghdad, and then you know you get the news, and it's it's just weird. Like you just saw him, it almost doesn't seem real. Matter of fact, that's what uh motivated me. Uh, I shared a song with you the other day that I had made, and that's what uh, motivated that whole first verse was just this kind of situation. It's it's crazy. You just these are great people that the world lost, and who knows what they really could have done, and it just hurts. Yeah. It still hurts. Like a, like a twenty one gun salute is one of the hardest things in the world for me. I remember going through my career. They asked me like, "Hey, Staff Sergeant, what's the worst thing you've ever done in the military?" And I, I can say without a doubt, the worst thing I ever had to do for military was go to that funeral uh, when we got back from that first deployment. Uh, it was thirteen dudes, man, thirteen dudes that just. And I think the hardest part of that was their families were there. And just seeing their families yeah. just die, like die. And I, I remember it was, I never wanted to do that again, honestly. And, you know, it wasn't boot camp. It wasn't, you know, any training. It wasn't, you know, um, but that, that was the hardest part I ever had to do in the Marine Corps, hands down. Try to make a little lighter note. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if this would be a little weird to go into, but just to try to lighten a little bit, because I asked this Chris on Veterans Day episode. Um, 
So there's all the seriousness. There's the stuff that brings you down, like funeral stuff. But in your time of deployment, when there's nothing bad happening, you guys are just hanging out, there's bound to be some of that trying to have some humor, right, to keep morale up, where you guys either prank each other or somebody's doing something. You guys must know of something. You can think of something off the top of your head you remember that was just hilarious. Well, you know, Bailey is more comical. <laughs> I think I was too much of a tight ass when I was in Iraq, and maybe I should have loosened up a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, I know Bailey, he, he, he was the funny one out of the group. He looks like Bailey, he what he got for us. Um, I remember I remember when I first got off the truck and it was <laughs> it was it was the middle of the night and it was Iraq and I was like, I gotta find Perna, see where we're at, see to see what what digs we got. And I remember uh I remember kicking in the door to the chow hall and I looked left and I looked right and I was like, Hey, where where's the salad room on this in, in this place? <laughs> and salad room's like where you keep all your vegetables and stuff, and obviously. You know, we set up in a classroom and, you know, we barely have running electricity or water. So <laughs> I remember that one. Uh, and I remember <laughs> that was like the one time I could burn her, like, you know, truly laugh. And that was a pretty good one. It was pretty I good. Can remember it. I can remember uh, one time when we were at Mojave Viper training, uh, we decided to pull a prank on uh, Dombeck. He had he already had one black guy as it was. And you know, they got the radios or prick this, prick that. And so we're like, we tell him, hey, go, go tell Gunny you need a prick E7. So he gets out of formation, runs up, he goes, Hey Gunny, I, I need a prick E7. And here's this guy with his long arms from Boston. And he looks at him, he starts laughing, he knows who did it, and he's like, You say that again, I'll black your other eye. Who put him up to it? Well, get back that? in formation. What's that mean? Huh? I, I... What happened? Say what? What did you tell him to say? Uh, go tell Gunny you need a pricky seven. A pricky seven? Yeah, it's yeah. it's a radio, so but it really means a dick, a dick gunnery sergeant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he basically walked up to Gunny and called him a prick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I then Gunny I just looked at him and he's like, Get back information for I black your other eye because <laughs> he already had one black eye as it was. Sticking with my hobby viper, uh, I remember I uh, I lost my bayonet uh, while we're out, out out in the range, and I remember I found it. Um, but our staff sergeant, our sergeant at the time, Sergeant Lamana, he gave me a rock. I had to keep uh, keep with me for all deployment or whatever. And so I remember he would come up to the fob and he's like, hey, where's your rock at? And I would have to run all the way up to my room and grab my rock and be like, this is a rock. <laughs> so I was I was towing around a rock from California all the way to Hawaii, back to, you know, the big island and then, you know, out to Iraq. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. But I guess I guess I learned, learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, didn't you throw it out in the dumpster or something? Or it ended up in a box and then everything got thrown into a dumpster. <laughs> And the next yeah. morning, he's, uh, I don't know where my bayonet is. I go, well, you better find it. Goes, it might be in the dumpster. And then he went dumpster diving and <laughs> luckily he pulled it out of there. Yeah. Uh, 
Bayonets, did anybody ever even really use that? Is that something that would no. actually get used? No. I mean, you didn't <laughs> like, as a tool, maybe. Like, <laughs> never be close enough to nobody to use one of those. No. That brings up an interesting question. I wouldn't normally go here, but speaking of bayonets, if you look at like, what you guys went through in the military now, imagine it being today, but having to go back to like a muzzle with a bayonet on it. Black man, I, guns. man, I think about that oh, when I'm man. watching like those war movies like Patriot. I'm like, man, screw that. <laughs> I'm like, man, I am glad I'm not that dude. One shot at a time. Every time you got to reload, hoping you get it. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, man. And then you got to fight a dude with a band, <laughs> with a sharp pointy stick. I'm like, yeah, no, screw that. <laughs> um. So back to a little bit more of like when you guys were coming out of the military, how was it when you were come home? Like, how were you received? Like, I know, like, say back during the Vietnam War, people weren't received very well when they came home. Is it different? Totally different, I think. Larry, you got out yeah, before uh, me, right? I would say so. What's that? You got out before me, right? Yeah. Right before you, like, like, so, yeah, but yeah, I did. It was so for, for me. You got to two thousand seven. Yep, two thousand seven. Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. I don't think it was nothing like what they went through in Vietnam for me personally. At least uh, I was. Uh, it seemed like they appreciated it more. Yeah. Than, than they did back then, for sure. I, I got a lot of uh, thank yous, but I almost felt like really weren't warranted because I don't feel like it was something to be told thank you for or that I needed to be told thank you, but it's nice to know that people appreciate what you did for them. But yeah, there was more appreciation than anything, for at least for me personally. Well, that's something we touched on that Veterans Day episode, right, Chris, about how you feel about because like some military don't want to hear thank you. Some appreciate it, but some are like, you don't have to thank me. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I grew up in, I guess, small town of, um, so, you know, I knew a lot of people where I came back to. Uh, they all knew that I had joined the service. Um, my first deployment to Afghanistan um, it worked out that my buddy was getting married when they sent, when we came home on leave before we deployed. So, uh, I was able to attend his wedding, which was, he, he was one of my best friends. So it couldn't have worked out any better, but, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, worked for the local newspaper and, uh, he wanted to interview me. So, um, they had interviewed me while I was home and it ran in the newspaper before I had left. And then, um, so a lot of people knew that I was in the service and that I had joined and what my story was. So, uh, coming home, I, you know, it, it was a nice welcome home. Um, you know, it was good to be home. It was good to see my friends. Um, I didn't want to fall 
back into my regular routine of what I was doing before I, I, I went in. Um, so, you know, it, it worked out the best that it could. Um, and I credit that to my, my service and staying focused on what my goals were. You know, when I joined the service, I had a four-year plan. And then when I got out, I had another four-year plan. And, um, you know, I met my wife a year, about a year after I'd gotten out. And then um, a year later, we were married. And then a year later, I had a son. So I, I tell my wife, I go, if I knew what I knew now and how things were going to play out, I would do it all over again in a second. Because being in the service and, you know, you, you wonder what's going to happen or where my life is going to go or if I'm going to make it through tomorrow, especially when you're deployed. You know what I mean? I, I never had any aspirations or even thoughts that I was going to have children because I was older at the time. And then to get out, find somebody, get married, and then start a family. You know what I mean? I, I count my blessings every day I get out of bed. Nice. Yeah. So. Well, that's nice. Um, I don't know if you guys are okay with this question, but the transition of, okay, you're not going no more. You're back to civilian. Like, how long did it take to, like, transition back to at least what would be normal for you anyway? Like, did you guys just waltz back in, or is it, like, takes time? I don't time think I transitioned you... out yet. No, you're still working yeah. on it? <laughs> <laughs> no. I've, uh, I've been... I've been working on five years and I still feel like, you know, yeah. I'm like, when, when do I get off leave? When am I going back? <laughs> Honestly. It really burns into you. Yeah, it really, it really does. You know, um, now, now the job I'm in now, you know, it's uh, a lot more civilian based. And so I'm the only veteran in a company of like 500 people or 800 people. So, you know, I'm definitely alone, not alone there, but just, my sense of humor and, you know, my views on life are a lot different than other people. I would definitely say. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Like it, it never truly left me either. Like I wanted to start in this new job that I work at. I actually work in a distribution center now. I've been there for like two, three months and I'm the one of the top performers in the whole building. People hate working with me. Cause they tell me slow down. I was like, I don't know how to slow down and I do not know how to not give it 110%. I'm a Marine. So you don't want to work with me. You can request to get taken away, but I move. So it's, it never leaves you the work ethic, the whole mindset. None of that. It's, it's branded. That's like once Marine, always Marine for sure. Wearing yeah. them out, Larry. Oh, uh, I, I, I'm telling you, we, we, uh, <laughs> they put me in this room, but they put me in with this guy on one trailer and our normal, we, we unload trucks and normally you're only supposed to get 1600 for uh, a quarter. Uh, we did a uh, 15,000 that night. Wow. So that was almost the whole, the whole plan for the building. Wow. <laughs> Bragging. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I know with me, I, I went into the corrections right after I got out of the military and I know, you know, um, 
I really, I really think that, you know, my time in the military really had me, um, accelerate way past my peers, you know, just because I was constantly like, Hey, what can I do now? What can I learn next? What's the next step? Um, you know, and they're, they're like, how long you been here? I was like, uh, about two years. And they're like, Oh, okay. You, you, you know, and the guys I was working with on a team, you know, had 10 or 12 years in the, in uh, the department. And, you know, I really, I really think that my time in the military of, you know, accepting nothing less than perfect or, you know, never stopping and always overachieving is just something that definitely gives you a leg up on everyone. Right. So There's even no way the, to go, but all the way, all the time. So even yeah. in the workforce, the military plays a big role. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because there's nothing harder than what we've already gone through. Yeah. Not on any level. Yeah. Sometimes I, guys that I'm working with, like I, if somebody's bitching or complaining about it, I go, are you getting shot at? <laughs> and they go, what are you talking about? I go, that's what I thought. I go, so there's not a problem here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Understood. You getting shot at? Well, that's a, that actually brings up a question. So you know how, like, just everyday civilians, I actually have even done it, where you have these younger kids and how they can be because kids are just not the same these days. It's a whole different generation. And you'd be like, what you need is to go in the military. Now, being in the military and knowing what you go through, like how often is that really something should be even thought of? Like how many of these people are really even able to do the military? You know what I'm saying? Like is yeah. it really something that a lot of these kids that are having whatever their issues are, military would help them? Or how many of them are like, you know, I don't know. Does that question make any sense? Yeah, it yeah. does. Because, you know, after you're in and you're with guys that maybe shouldn't be there or they're not there for the right reasons or they're just not cutting it, you know, I think it falls back on the recruiters. You know, they've, they're forced to get numbers doesn't matter who you are or what your ability is. They just want to get you to boot camp to get their numbers. And then boot camp is pushing them to the fleet. And then when they get to the fleet, now the people that are there have to deal with these certain situations. So, you know, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I was listening to this radio station today. It's uh, the guy's a veteran and he served in... I don't know if he was Afghanistan or Iraq that, um, what's his name? Well, it doesn't matter. But somebody had called in and said, oh, everybody should do a mandatory two years in the service. Well, you know, in a perfect world, that might not be a bad idea. But, you know, the people in, they want to be in the service, then would have to deal with these people that are being forced to be in the service. And it's yeah. not fair to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, my question was kind of leading, alluding to. If you really force that, you're going to get people you really, now you're babysitting when you're trying to. Yeah. 
And those are going to be those are going to be the guys that are going to fight it the whole way. They're not going to conform. They're yeah. not going to be smart enough to say, "Hey, I'm going to fall in line here and do what I need to do." No, they're going to fight it every step of the way. I'm not going to say all of them are, but I'm sure a lot of them would. And then now you got to deal with that on a daily basis. And it's not fair yeah. to the guys that want to be in the service and want to do a good job and get up every day and bust their ass and um, serve their country. Would you say it would yeah. also be like, a, not just unfair, but what's the right word? Like a risk having someone like that. They're more at risk sure. of issues. Oh yeah, I know. I got up, you know, towards the senior of my leadership, and I remember it was a great quote. I don't know where I heard. I'm sure it was throughout my military time. But you spend ninety uh, percent of your day dealing with ten percent of the population in the military. And I know, you know, towards the end, I had a platoon, and only two were actually could pick up their stuff and go to, you know, a war zone. The other ones had, you know, DUIs or, you know were doing drugs or had another issue they couldn't go for. And, and it's really, it's really bad for the guys that want to be there and want to do this is now I have to dedicate all my time to making sure that they get to their medical appointments, they get to their lawyers, they get to a court date or whatever. And it's, um, it was super frustrating that I couldn't stop and actually, you know, help these guys that, uh, were wanting to benefit from the military. Um, I had a question. And this is open-ended because uh, I think everybody would really like to know this. Not anything specific, no specific event that I'm asking, but just overall, after being through the military, knowing where we were as a country even 10 years ago, looking at where we're at now, being military people, because I, I'm around civilians all day, just normal people. I'm not hanging around tons of military guys all the time, so I hear what Joe Schmo up the street, how he feels about things or what this guy over here thinks. But as a military guy, having put your life on the line for our freedoms and now being sitting back and seeing where our country's at now, how do you guys see it, feel about it? What do you think about it? I think that, you know, a lot of people are um, complaining about things that, you know, really don't deserve time to even complain about, you know? Um, and I, th I think that's the thing, you know, what Chris already said is, you know, you've experienced the worst, you know? Are you getting shot at today? No. Then who do I care, you know, is dating who in the celebrity world or yeah. whatever Kim Kardashian is doing that day? I, I really don't care. It doesn't affect the temperature of my pool, honestly. Um, these people are just complain, complaining. And I'm just like, man, there is literally Marines and soldiers and other people sleeping in our cardboard boxes, eating cold MREs, just so you can sit here and come bitch and complain about, uh, about stupid, trivial things. And it's just frustrating to watch that. And I'm just like, if they only knew, you know? Yeah. There's a, go ahead. Larry. Go ahead. No, you first. No, you go first. Sir. You know, the only reason I like Facebook is because I could see the guys that I served with. I could see their families. I could see what's going on in their life. You know, unfortunately, we don't stay in contact as much as 
you know, maybe we should or reach out to each other on a regular basis. But, you know, we, we kind of we're in the backgrounds and we're seeing what's going on in each other's lives to some extent. And, you know, that's the part that I love about it. I hate everything else about it. And I, I, I yeah, think amen. social media is destroying this country. And it gives people that normally that wouldn't have a platform, a platform to say something. And, you know, it's not always the best. It's not always the best thing for certain individuals to be able to put whatever they want out there and be these uh, keyboard warriors and bullshit like that. Right. That's what drives me nuts. Right. And, you know, I, I've, I've gotten better over time not commenting on certain things, but sometimes I, I just can't help myself. And that happens at work too, with guys that make comments or say things. Um, they go, you always have to say something. And I go, well, I, I can't help myself because of the responses or the comments that you guys make. Sometimes I just can't keep my mouth shut. And sometimes these guys don't know how to take me. They go, are you just being sarcastic or are you being serious? I go, well, you take it how you want to. <laughs> you know, I try to say it in a sarcastic way, but I, 95% of the time I mean it. Yeah. And these guys, yeah. their, their yeah. feelings get hurt. And I can't help that. I can't help that. <laughs> and, and that's obviously, you know, talking about this. This is what we're getting into. We're so concerned about everyone's feelings getting hurt about certain situations. Well, if, if you want to put it out there, then you got to expect to get a response that you might not like all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I, I, I agree 100%. To keep my mouth shut most of the time because, you know, I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but sometimes I, I just can't help myself. And see, the thing for me, uh, I agree 100% with Chris is saying. He's, he took a lot of the thoughts in my head, like this whole council culture or whatever is going on. Everybody's crying about the wrong reasons when there's real issues in the world. But the one thing that bothers me the most out of all of it is, all right, we, we fought for your right to speak and to be doing all this, right? So that's fine. But when they stomp on the flag or, or they burn the flag, that one right there, that boils my blood because do you understand what that what that stands for you wouldn't have a right in any other country doing what you're doing but you're burning the symbol of what god you know it's just that that one right there is just so irritating to me like i, I hate it it's absolutely annoying. yeah um just to piggyback what what larry said man it, that's it kills me man like um with this, all these sports events and, you know, these people are taking the knee and, you know, gonna I'm not going to stand for, for the national anthem. And I'm like, where else can you get play sports and get paid millions of dollars, you know? And I mean, uh, not that long ago, there were soccer teams in Iraq that if they didn't win, they just got lined up and shot and killed, um, you know, mm -hmm. and then you have soccer players are going over to countries and they're not standing for the anthem because of, you know, uh, the way the United States treats uh, lesbians or gays or whatever. And I'm like, you're in Saudi Arabia where they stone people for being homosexual. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. 
Um, you're literally playing a sport and getting paid millions of dollars to play sport. And there's a Lance Corporal out there getting paid less than minimum wage to risk his life for us. So they can make their millions. Exactly. That's what I said. When I see them people kneeling, they're trying to say what they're dealing, but there's no getting around it. They're freaking, they're disrespecting you guys in my eyes. Yeah. That, that national anthem and all that's got nothing to do with police. It's got to do with the whole country and it's got to do with our military. Yeah. And I, I could never stand and, it. I, it drives me nuts. Yeah. And people ask me like, what do you feel about it? And I'm like, you know, it's, it's his, uh, it's his constitutional right to do that. Does it make you any less of an asshole? No, I just, I think you're an idiot. And uh, I think you're an asshole, honestly, yeah. Yeah. but you go ahead, do what you want to do, man. But honestly, you're an idiot. And, uh, you know, do what you need to do, man. But then, you know, go ahead and I don't see you not cashing those checks for Nike or wherever, you know. Right. Commanding. I think there's a time and place for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of these individuals, you know, it's the wrong time and the wrong place. What do you want to do on your time? go right ahead. You know, I, I don't go yeah. to work and uh, preach how I feel about things and uh, push my agenda or not that I have one, but my views on you, you know, <laughs> I, I'm here to do a job and then I'm going home at the end of the day. I want to get through this eight hours as fast as I can because I want to get home to my family. Right. And, yeah. you know, like Owen said, these athletes, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. They put a camera in front of their face, and that's what you're going to get. Yeah, I know. And then, I mean, not to get off topic or, you know, get political or anything, but, you know, they're saying that, you know, uh, America is a racist nation. And, you know, I think that is far from the, the truth. If And the prime example of that is – United States military, man, when you're out on patrol, it's like, you're not going to sit there in the, the pre-mission brief and be like, Hey man, I, I can't go because I have a black guy on my team. There is none of that. They would look at you like you're an idiot. Uh, it's a, can you do the job and can you do, do the job? Well, like, I don't care what race, creed, psycho, sexual orientation you have. We're all, we're all in this together and we're all doing it. Um, and some of my best friends, uh, you know, they're black and they're Hispanic and like, it's, it's just maddening to see this, honestly. Yeah. The, the crowds that hang out in the Marine Corps are the most diverse you'll ever see or in the military for that fact. You, yeah. All colors, creeds, all doing the same thing. Cause we got to the point that we realized we're still under all that people. And it yeah. all goes down to like good and bad, right and wrong. We all, we all feel the same way. Culture is honestly something that we should all just learn about other people and, enjoy each other's culture but uh social media like like you said that that's part of the problem that's going on with them doing all the kneeling and all that because today it's about clout it's not about respect yeah. it's not about anything it's about how much people can i get to look at me because they honestly get paid for that now more people look at yeah. you you can actually get money get plaques from youtube and get it's millions brand, of dollars man. just for being an idiot it raises their brand yeah crazy and then yeah and it's like the military is the only place where you can take you know a goofy kid from tennessee 
a guy from Ecuador, Peru, whatever it was, and a grumpy guy from Buffalo and put them into, you know, a small <laughs> confined, confined face and, you know, and make things happen. And at the end of the day, walk away and you're all on the same team and you do anything for each other. Well, not only that, but wouldn't you agree? Look at when something like 9-11 happens. Did anybody look at what color they are? No, it was running and safe. No. Yeah. So I agree. I think the race the whole problem, that's just, that's a smoke screen. That They want that problem to stay. They don't want it going away. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad, really. One of my best friends, I thought of was a brother. I hugged the guy whenever I seen him because he lived in Virginia. He's a black guy and to me, he wasn't. He was my brother. Like, I loved that guy. We were yeah. real close. Yeah. When he passed, it crushed me. Yeah. Yeah, my first deployment, I was uh, with an Indian and a black guy. And I look at those guys like they're my brothers. I didn't see anything but two Marines that I had the utmost respect for. Yeah. Definitely. So what do you think that if racism was like they're trying to push it to be, if you're going to see it, wouldn't you see it like in the military? Yeah. If it's the way they're trying to push it, places like the military, you'd see it because of the diversity of people in there. Yeah. It's crazy because the military is actually one of the most unracist places you can go for, as far as yeah. this nation. Like, it's not really any. I don't. I've maybe seen one case of like this guy that was really, really racist, but they were kicking him out over it. Like he had tattoos and everything like that. He was oh, on yeah. his way out. So like, not tolerated. Zero tolerance. Right. Yeah, they, they weed him out exactly. Um, something I want to touch on quick from you guys, because I want to make sure we don't forget each of you guys, like being out of the military, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of things. So I'm sure you guys have like charities and stuff you like, because what we'd like to do with these shows is we have them each show the guys on will come up with whether it's one of them or several of them charities they'd be interested in because we want to use the show to try to raise money for the charities so any interesting ones you guys like a local one here in um, Buffalo is uh, Western New York Heroes yeah um, I, th I think here you know um local gold star families i think that's a really good impact and you know their kids and stuff like that getting scholarships and everything like that i think that you know uh they lost a lot you know their their service member paid the ultimate sacrifice and the least we can do is you know pay for their kid to get through college or hey we're gonna pay for your house or you know whatever and just you know i think that they sometimes get forgotten about after the funeral oh um, yeah any come to mind, Mr. Larry? I unfortunately um, have just, to be honest, started getting my life back on track. I had got it off, so I haven't really thought about stuff like that more recently, to be honest with you. That's all right. We got all your other ones we know about. 
Um, so that will, we will have links, everybody, viewers, listeners, in the description, links to these charities. If you want to throw something in, it would be really great to help these guys out. Um, my wife was telling me Toys was to- toys for Tots, I never knew this, was through the military. Is that right? Yep, through the Marine Corps, yep. Is it really? Yep. I never knew that. She just told me that like a day ago. Yep. My uh, my buddy who's actually, uh, he's on, um, he's active duty, but he's uh, kind of looking over the reservists. He's up in Boston. And actually, I just talked to him today, and he's actually going out for a Toys for Tots uh, event right now. And uh, just the amount of work he puts into that, he's he's telling me like you know the weeks before Christmas, it's twelve fifteen hour days every day. Wow. Putting in the time. I, I just uh, well, when was it? It was July. I uh, joined a Marine Corps detachment here in uh, Buffalo, and uh, they have certain dates throughout the month where they. Um, stand out in front of a certain location and collect money and toys and stuff like that. How yeah. does, does anybody, how does that toys for tots work? If we wanted to help with that one too. Unwrap toy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I supposed can. to be unwrapped and in it's a uh, original packaging, right? Something like that. Isn't it? Yeah, my, my buddy, he's actually uh, in Massachusetts. I know that he's in charge of all the uh, reserve stations, I think, in New England. And I want to say New York, too. So, uh, yeah, I would have to ask him. But I know it's just I know a lot of bins just get set up and you just put an unwrapped toy in there Drop and it off. goes to a family. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I had my dog in here. He'd be going nuts right now. Oh, yeah, I know. So, you guys haven't seen each other in, what did you say, 14 years, was it? Yeah. yeah. 2007. Yeah, it's crazy. Where the time go? It's, it's, uh, I'm lucky because, um, so my, uh, my wife's family, they're from Buffalo. And actually from uh, Chris's hometown. So, you know, they're going up there. Well, my sister-in-law is getting married and they want to get married up in Buffalo. So I know a, a grumpy old dude. I'm going to look up when I get up there. Well, you were here nice. how many years ago? Uh, eight, maybe. And I just that, didn't work out. Is yeah. that, that long ago? I, well, my son's 10. So he was, my wife was pregnant with him. So, yeah, about 10 years ago. Oh wow, that yeah. I, I I thought it was more recent for some reason. Oh yeah, your oldest boy is ten years old. Is actually his birthday's today. Um, but yeah, oh. he's ten, man. Well, thank so you, you for spending your time with us and not your son. I'm. Oh, that's all right. Your boy. Thank you. I got three little girls running around in there going crazy. I can hear them. Three girls. Um. Oh, oh yeah. God bless you, Larry. Uh, my my oldest is five. I got a five year old, two year old, oh. and about a four and a half month old. Girls <laughs> are a whole different ball game, man. Yeah. Oh man, oh. I'm I'm already I can already hear my wife when I get done with this. 
They drive her crazy. They're all daddies. Oh, I know. She has a hard time. There's a place in heaven for you, Larry. I, I, that's what, so my father-in-law, he had three girls also. And man, I was like, every time I see him, I'm like, I don't know how you did. I can barely handle my wife, more or less three more versions of her. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man. Yep, how many place in hell. So Larry, <laughs> I know. I know um, my wife's cousin and a good friend of mine, they both had two girls and they tried for a boy and then ended up having having another girl is that a certain same situation that you had going on there or what um yeah well we'll find out if uh, the next one's gonna be a boy or a girl but if it's a girl or if it's a boy i'm done either way <laughs> that's enough boys enough it's especially out here in california yeah wow. it's expensive oh but yeah no I know about your expenses. My co-host lives about 30 minutes from me. He's always like, I'm like, man, I just had to pay for gas. It's three fifty, And he's like, ha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. We're, we're, <laughs> we're getting, we're getting close to five as an average. Oh. So we, like, uh, we I, go to, I drive a, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just, no, that's good. I was going to say, I just, I drive a minivan and within a year and a half, it went from 40 to like 80 something dollars. Yeah. We, uh, we go out to LA a lot because that's where my sister-in-law is. And, uh, we call it the last stop, the last stop before communists occupied California, where we stop and we fill up a gas and that it's literally, as soon as we get over the border, it's like $2 more expensive. And we're like, Oh, my, my co-host yeah, is cool. always going, Oh, well I'm over here in California. He yeah. doesn't like it there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, with, now we're having a bunch of people come over from California to Arizona and it's just uh unique to say the least. Oh, there's there's an exodus for sure. There's an exodus out of the state. Yeah. It's bad. It's really bad. Like me and my wife are uh we started looking for houses in places like Texas and other places that uh, we have family or that we're not too far from this state because it's that expensive. The average rent's like 2500 in my area yeah and you're talking about like a two-bedroom or one or two-bedroom apartment to a two-bedroom house not my oh, yeah. square feet like not nothing should uh should come you should come to phoenix man it's me and uh, a roscoe out here hanging out so <laughs> oh he's gone oh he left i didn't know that yeah he's in colorado now he moved to colorado like a probably like four months ago, I think, something like that, four or six months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't had much contact with him since he left, but, yeah, I know I was going to come out there and see him, but he bounced out, so. But you're in Phoenix, though? Yeah, I'm in Phoenix. Reminds me of our right now. He's out doing the summer. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. So yeah, you got an AC, right? So yeah, I was doing construction during the summer, and I was like, "Man, I remember this. this sucks." <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the main reasons I'm still in California, in Northern California, to be specific, is the the weather. It's nice here. Yeah, I know in uh, in country on Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, one of the downsides of being a cook is you're in there with the ovens and everything. And I remember our our first deployment to Iraq, it, it had to be 125, 126 degrees in our, in our kitchen. And we're just dying and it's just miserable. 
Yeah. And I, yeah, I see um, pictures of uh, you guys when you're like in full uniform there, and I'm like, aren't you boiling with all that on? I mean, it's got to be hot. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's warm. Full uniform, the helmet. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. yeah no. The tail end of our deployment in Iraq, you know, we were getting uh, attacked on a daily basis. So they, if you walked outside, you had to have your flak jacket on, you had to have your helmet on, you had to be in full gear if you stepped yep. outside a building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had to use a uh, wear flak and Kevlar when we had to use a phone too. So phone calls were short. Yep. That's, all I'm, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> phone calls were short. Yeah. Yeah, that Kevlar was not nice with that heat. <laughs> Yeah, and then the the antenna. I remember the satellite antenna only fit, fit under your uh, under your Kevlar. So you're like, man, I'm definitely getting like brain cancer. I'm getting tumors swarming in my brain right now <laughs> just because those satellite. And I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> no AC. <laughs> well, one uh, night the power went out. We had fans. Oh my god, and I remember that. The generator <laughs> stopped working. And as soon as those fans stopped, everybody woke up. It felt like oh, yeah. just crushing Definitely. your skull. Yeah, it was were, we, I, I, I remember that night, and then I remember we were just sleeping in the hallways just to keep cool, and it was it was no luck. And I remember that night. So that's just another thing that when you guys are now you're home and you hear somebody going, "It's too fucking hot out here," you guys are like, "Uh, you don't even know." No. <laughs> No, yeah, no, and I love the cold because of that, all that. Like, everybody's always like, It's so cold. It's like, I'm not turning no heat on. <laughs> yeah, I, I am anti heat <laughs> for sure. Because yeah. I put clothes on. I, I remember going on patrol in the blacktop, your boots would melt into the blacktop. Good lord, yeah, yeah. It's, I remember uh, you would sweat inside the building. And you walk outside and be out there for like maybe a minute and you see the salt rings from all where your sweat dried up so fast. Yeah. It's a it's very dry there, right? Not just hot, but dry. Iraq, Afghanistan, it's pretty dry. Um well, we we got there in February, March. And what yeah. It was a rainy season there. Oh really? Yeah. yeah Afghanistan was pretty cold. Yeah. We got snow in Afghanistan when we were yeah. there. That was the first time they had snow in, I don't remember how many years it was, but it was a long time. It actually snowed there. So you brought it from Buffalo, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was lake effect snow. <laughs> now, that was one of the coldest I've ever been was in Afghanistan. That was pretty freezing because where we were with Special Forces on the base I was at, you know, we were pretty close to the border of Pakistan. I don't know. It was just, we were up there. It was really, really cold. Yeah. Mind you, I'm from California. So that, that, I don't never really experienced below zeros. Man, that was a shock. Well, that's why I chose West Coast uh, out of Cook School. They give you, they act like they're giving you an option of where you want to be stationed. And uh, it was, East Coast, West Coast, or overseas. It's Okinawa and stuff. 
and I chose West Coast thinking I was going to California and I had no idea that Hawaii was even an option. Yeah. Right. I like, oh, you, yeah, everyone's like, oh, did you like Hawaii? And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, 10, the the week I was there, the two weeks I was there, because we were always deploying or going out to training or somewhere like that. I said it was a great place to keep my clothes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pretty much. So people are thinking, oh, you were in Hawaii, but really it wasn't exactly vacation time. No. I mean, there were some times you you could get away to the beach, but I mean, uh, everything was so expensive. I mean, it was going out to Waikiki. That was pretty much your paycheck for the week. So for the two weeks, so, you know, you're eating at the chow hall and, uh, you know, stealing food from the chow just so you had some breakfast or something to eat. Yeah. When you come back, stay on comrades and take the food. Money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we got these, how many guys were you, Bailey, when you guys came? Seven of you, you said? Seven or eight, something like that. Well, half, well, more than half these guys all went out and bought cars as soon as they got to Hawaii. They always yeah. had a car. They get to Hawaii. Yeah, all, all us older guys, Larry, that were there, none of us bought, bought vehicles. So we were happy that you guys showed up. Yeah, exactly. I remember I that. I remember. It was old. <laughs> I remember taking a Choi. Like, hey man, can I get a ride? And I was like, oh man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Bailey, yeah. you had an expression. Yeah, I had a Jeep, man. It was missing third gear, but yeah, it was a Jeep. <laughs> so what happens to it when you, if, you, if you're there for two weeks? What happens with the vehicle when you're shipped back out? They uh, they put it in a parking lot and it's left to its own demises. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coming back replacing tire rot and uh hoping it starts and yeah yeah it was it was a nice place to visit but um it was just so expensive i can only imagine what it is now there comparable to california <laughs> well they say the recent study said that actually california is more expensive than hawaii now we're the most expensive in the nation i believe it But uh, yeah, Hawaii was Hawaii was cool, but it's there's only so much you could do on an island, especially when you're used to living somewhere like in the in the Conus. Yeah. So being in the military, how do you guys feel about past like the Pearl Harbor Day? Does that mean anything to you guys? Yeah, I left. Um for boot camp on Pearl Harbor Day, Good you know, time. and then to be stationed in Hawaii and we were only 15 minutes from Pearl Harbor. I, uh, I went there twice while I was uh, in Hawaii and it's a whole different story when you walk there and. Oh yeah, that's, it's you crazy. You watch, they take you into this theater and show you a video prior to putting you on this ferry to take you out to the USS Arizona. And uh, it's like no other feeling that you'll ever experience. It's, it's super stoic. It's just, it's just so somber there. It's just, you've seen these people and you're just like, um, yeah. 
Uh-oh, Chris is doing something here. God only knows. He got a flag in his hands. You know, when I went there the first time, it was on uh, Memorial Day. And uh, I purchased a, this flag. And they take it out to the USS Arizona and run it up the flagpole. And the yeah, I remember that. Down. And then they present you uh, a certificate uh, stating that this flew over the USS Arizona. Really? Yeah. So this, this flag means a, a lot to me. Nice. Well, guys, what do you think? Yeah, I got my wife's already texting me, telling me where am I at for this birthday party, and I'm I'm literally in in my closet because it's the only quiet place I have in my house. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm in the garage. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Well, let we going to wrap this thing up. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for taking part in the giant voice. It's our first episode. We really hope this thing takes off and gets better. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And hope you guys come back again. Like this ain't a one-time thing. Anytime you ever want to come back on, yeah. you think you ever be interested. Um, I know I, I, I want to say, uh, I want to say thank you because, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, a lot of the podcasts are like, you know, Rangers or special forces or Navy SEALs or some cool MOS, but you know, I think there's a lot of voices out there that don't get heard a lot. Um, you know, the cooks, mechanics, supply guys that actually went over there and, you know, did amazing things and, you know, really don't get a voice to speak out. So I'm, I'm glad you actually reached out to us and let us tell our story. I right, thank you for coming on. That's, a, that's the whole idea is we want the people on here. Anybody, yeah. Have, yeah, veterans, yeah. retired, active, any branch, regardless of what they do, however they're part of the military, you're part of it, you're part of it regardless. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you, Nick, for um, bringing me back together with my brothers. Amen. Giving me the opportunity yeah. to see their faces and share stories with them. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be on here. I, I want to keep this going. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Anytime. Hit me up if you want. We probably should even get our own Zoom meetings together with some other people, too. I got a few contacts yeah. that we may or may not. More benefits yeah. from this. Absolutely. Well, as you know, you guys will, will also be sending you a Giant Voice t-shirt for being on here. Wait. Um, that will also nice. be something we're going to have for sale. Um, yeah. Again, people, viewers, listeners, we will have some charities for these guys that will be in the description. Just follow the link. Help us out. Uh, like, subscribe, comment. Let's keep these guys going. We want these guys to be heard. That's the whole point <laughs> of this thing. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. And see you guys all next time on the next episode of Giant Voice. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you, sir.